0: So Colossians chapter 3, and this week we're going to look at two verses, which is verse 20 and 21. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to read verse 18 all the way through to 25. And the reason is uh, this part, this section, is rules for Christian households. And so last week we looked at wives and husbands and marriage and all of that. And so this week we're going to look at, parenting. We're going to look at children and, um, and parents. And so what I'm going to do is read the whole um, section so we get an idea of what's happening. And then this morning, we're going to focus on verse 20 and 21. All right, let's read. Verse 18 of Colossians chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people please us, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And let's finish it off with chapter 4, verse 1. It says, "Masters." Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so, as I said, this week we're going to focus on verse 20 and 21. And next week we're going to talk about work and how work. Hey guys, how are you doing? Good to see Sorry to put you on the spot. I shouldn't do that. All right, so let's pray and then we'll get right to it. Father, we are thankful for you and your grace in our lives. Thank you for not only providing Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins, but also providing us with instruction on how we're to live. And so this week, as we turn our gaze towards Jesus and learn how to relate Um, in the context of the family, specifically between parents and children. May you help us, Lord. May you help us not only understand, but may you give us a willingness to apply all that you're going to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, we have some parents. Anyone who's a parent here? Any parents here? Anyone who has kids here? Yep, yep, we have some parents here. And I'm sure this morning you're like, yep, yeah, this will be great. I'm looking forward to learning from God's Word what it looks like for me to raise up my children in instruction of the Lord. But I'm also aware that there are people that don't have children here, okay? Anyone who does not have a child. Anyone? Of course. Yeah, you're here. There's quite a few of you. And so this is what I don't want you guys to do. I don't want you guys to tune out. I don't want you guys to say, hey, like, he's talking about parenting and all of that, and so it has nothing to do with me, so I'm going to check out. I'm going to go on my phone and watch the World Cup or something like that. That's what I would be tempted to do. I don't know what you'll be tempted to do. But don't do that. And the reason is this will apply to you because all of you here, um, you're, one of your identities is that you're a child, okay? You're a child, you're a child of someone, and so that will apply to you. The other thing is, um, one day you might get married and have children, and so this is a good opportunity to get a head start to know how to raise your children, okay? It might be a long time away, but you never know. You might remember some of what we're going to share or it will reinforce um, some of what you already know. The other thing is you are probably in a relationship with families okay, that have children. And I'm not telling you to, like, raise their children for them, but it might be good to understand um, what it's like to raise children and so that when you're with those families, you'll have a better understanding of what's going on and you're just not going to be freaked out by some of the ways they raise their children and all of that. And so don't tune out. Tune in. It will be helpful for you one day. All right? As a church... We've been making our way through the letter of Paul to the Colossians, okay? Today, we arrive at week 13. So far in this letter, we've looked at why Jesus Christ deserves to be preeminent in our lives. What that means is that Jesus needs to be number one. What that also means is that Jesus needs to be our everything because he deserves it. And in chapter 3, that's where we're at, we began to apply Um, this truth to our lives. Last week, we arrived at the point of the letter where Paul, who's the author of this letter to a church in Colossae, begins to focus on the family. He begins to lay out how the truths about who Jesus is and what he's done impacts the most important and prominent relationships in our lives. And what's interesting about these instructions and commands is that they do not tell us how to order families, but focus on Christian motivation behind our family relationships. So it's all about the motive here. He focuses on how we relate to others, how every member of a family must allow Christ's lordship to control his or her interpersonal relationships. Last week, if you was here, We looked at one of the most controversial and one of the most misunderstood truths of the Bible, and that was the the call for wives to submit to their husbands and the mandate for husbands to love their wives. We discovered that wives are called to submit to their husbands, not just because it is one of their God-given purposes, but wives are even more compelled to put themselves under the leadership of their husbands when he loves them like Jesus loves him. So if you... They haven't listened to that sermon, I would absolutely advise you to go online and listen to that. It will be so helpful for you. And even this week in our small groups, we're going to spend time talking about um, husbands and wives and submission and all of that. Because it's just so hard for me to cover everything in one sermon. And because the whole topic of submission and love in marriage is kind of misunderstood in so many ways, we felt as a church, that it would be a good idea to spend more time discussing it, okay? And so that's what's going to be happening in small groups this week. This week, we continue our focus on the family. We continue to see from Colossians how the gospel of the person and work of Jesus affects the relationship between parents and children. And as I speak, let me let you know that Eleanor and I haven't arrived, we're not awesome parents. We're just not. This is so funny. So I've been prepping this all week. And as you're preparing anything to talk about children and parents, it's in your minds. And so I'm seeing more than ever. And so last night, Jesse, my son, who is six, couldn't sleep. And I was up just putting the finishing touches on my sermon. He gets up in the night and goes pee, right? And he absolutely pees everywhere and the reason why the reason why <laughs> glenn's like looked at josh like <laughs> the, the re the reason why i was like oh what is he doing is because i've been telling him over and over again when he pees to make sure he hits the target okay and he just i mean this is like months of <laughs> trying to train the kid as so i say all that to say That my response wasn't the best, and that parenting is challenging. And we're going to understand, hopefully, why it's so challenging um, as we go along. Okay, so beginning in verse 20, this is what we discover. Children are commanded to, it tells us in verse 20, to obey um, their parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. It's the instruction for children. The Greek word from which we get our English word children is techna. Everyone say techna. Say that's an easy one, so I got you to say it. What's interesting about this word techna is that it is a general term for children that refers to children of all ages. Households in the first century were very much different to what we're used to. And the reason is moms, dads, and children, whether married or single, all lived under the same roof. So, it is likely that the people group being addressed here are children, married or single, who are still living in the home and under parental guidance. So, it is to this demographic that Paul who's the author of this letter, presents the command to obey their parents in everything. The command for children to obey is different to the call for wives to submit in verse 18. The submission, we talked about this last week, expected of women to their husbands suggests a voluntary submission. It's a choice. A wife submits because she wants to, not because she has to. Here, the word obey refers to submission that demands obedience. It is more absolute. It's more of a requirement. Children still living at home and under parental guidance are expected to obey in this way. Children are not only called to obey, but verse 20 also informs us that they are expected to obey in everything. So, what this is telling us is that as long as a child is still living at home and under parental guidance, they're expected to obey their parents in everything. Now, this is interesting, this command for children to obey everything their parents order them to do wasn't new to the ears of the audience this letter was originally addressed to, okay? Remember I said, this letter was written to a congregation, to a group of people in a first century city called Colossae. And so, the audience, this whole idea of, hey, children, obey your parents in everything, wasn't new to them. And this is because, in that day, children were viewed as nothing more than the property of their parents. For example, in one of his works, Dio Chrysostom, who was a Greek orator, writer, philosopher, and historian um, of the Roman Empire in the first century, this guy did it all, he was super smart, as you can hear. He observes that the duty of a son in those days is to treat everything that belongs to them As belonging to his father, to be obedient to him in all things, never to speak ill of him to anyone else, or to say or do anything that will harm him, and to help him as far as is within his power. Back then, in the first century, fathers, who were the head of the household, right, um, had full authority over their children. Their authority enabled them to treat their children, their kids, in any way they wanted. They could even put their children in prison. They could even do that. They were also legally allowed to put their children to death without any trial or even without bringing any accusations at all against them. So back then, the parents could do anything. They had full authority over their kids. And so, for children to obey their parents in everything back then was expected. And I can imagine, right, children hearing this, this whole command, hey, children, obey your parents in everything, and them just saying, of course, (laughs) you know, this is what we've been doing, and this is what has been expected of us, because it's a cultural norm. But what was new to their ears, as followers of Jesus in the first century, is found right at the end of verse 20, right? Look at the end of verse 20. It provides children with the primary motive for obedience. In other words, it gives us, it gives children the reason why they should obey their parents in everything. And the reason children are expected to obey their parents in everything is because obedience to parents, there it is, Pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. So here, this is what Paul is saying. Hey kids, obey your parents in everything. And obey them, not just because you have to, but obey your parents because when you obey your parents, kids, it pleases the Lord the Lord. David Garland, who wrote an awesome commentary on this book of Colossians, says that every child owes obedience above all to the Lord. Their independent relationship with the Lord surpasses the relationship with parents, and Christ's obedience to his Father in all things serves as the model And so what he's saying here is that children are to obey their parents the same way Jesus the Son obeyed God the Father. Now, what is also fascinating about this command for children to obey their parents in everything is that it provides us with more than meets the eye. Okay, we can just read this command and be like, okay, kids, you know what to do. Just obey your parents because it pleases God. Absolutely, that's the foundation. But this passage communicates more, and this is what it communicates. First of all, the fact that Paul addresses children in this verse communicates that he views children as morally responsible agents and bestows upon them the dignity of of personhood and value. This is because back then in the ancient world, it was unusual to address children directly as if they were independent, responsible subjects. Okay? Does that make sense? So, in addressing children, Paul is saying that children should not be viewed as inferior and in the property of their parents, but they should be viewed as image bearers of the living God as citizens who are as valuable in God's eyes as their parents are in God's eyes. Also, in giving attention to children, Paul was following in the footsteps of Jesus. You guys remember it, in Matthew 9, Jesus is doing his thing. He's been teaching the crowds and performing mind-blowing miracles. And what happens is that some parents take their kids and begin to escort them to Jesus so that Jesus can pray for them. What then happens is that Jesus' disciples see this. And they're like, this isn't appropriate. Why are you bringing children to Jesus, the rabbi? Jesus, the rabbi, is busy. He needs to... Think about bigger. And and so, no, Jesus looks at them and says, no, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And so what Paul's doing is when he's addressing children in this letter is communicating that they're valuable and that children are as valuable as parents. And so we have children in our service today. And so children, what I want to tell you is that God absolutely loves you, right? And even though you're a kid, even though you're small, don't view yourself as less in God's eyes. God Absolutely values you and he loves you. And when he sent Jesus to come and die on the cross, he just didn't send Jesus to die for grown ups and parents. No, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you as well. And so, if you believe in Jesus and surrender your life to him, he will absolutely forgive you of all your sins and give you eternal life. Okay, kids, right? And so my encouragement or exhortation to parents is that parents, how we live and how we communicate to our kids communicates whether they're valuable to us or not, okay? We don't need to tell them That, hey, you're not valuable for them to feel. No, we don't need to. It's not just verbal. How we relate to them and how we relate to them and how we live with them and our actions towards them communicates how valuable they are. Secondly, this verse doesn't just communicate value but also reveals exceptions to this command. And based on Acts 5.29, which reads, We must obey God rather than man. Arkent Huge explains some of the exceptions to this command. He says, We are never to go against our conscience or scripture to obey anyone. Nor must we sin or do anything irrational or harmful to us or anyone else in carrying out parental obedience. The command is not an excuse for a cruel parent. So, Children are to obey because obedience to their parents pleases the Lord. They're absolutely able to, expected to do that. But their obedience is pleasing to the Lord, not just because they obeyed, but their obedience is only pleasing to the Lord when what they're being asked to do is obedient to God's word. Pleasing God through obedience is not just about the act. It is also about what children are being asked to do. And if what they're being asked to do does not contradict God's word, it's pleasing to the Lord. But if it goes against the commands of God's word in Scripture, it is not pleasing to the Lord. Obedience from children that pleases the Lord is about both the action and the reason for the obedience. Again, Arkane Hughes says, the point is, okay, we have here a simple and powerful command to all children to truly, from the heart, obey their parents. Neglect of this command brings great sorrow. If not now, then surely later in life. But if obeyed, it brings fullness. And so, kids, okay, I've got a question for you children in here. Right? Where's all my children in here? Kids, can I hear you? Yeah. All right. First question is think about what your favorite food is. Okay? Your favorite food is probably ice cream, it's probably broccoli. Why are you laughing? No, no broccoli. Okay. Think about what your favorite food is. Now, think about what your least favorite food is. Okay? Least food that you're like, ugh, it's yucky. Okay? If I told you that you had to eat your favorite food, would you whine and complain? No, of course not. You'd be like, thank you. Food everywhere, okay? But what if I told you that you had to eat your least favorite food? How would you respond? (laughs) <laughs> right no i don't want to eat it i don't want to eat i don't want the ice cream no leave ice cream i'm kidding you love ice cream i'm sure you do that would be a little more difficult to obey and i ask these questions to let you know kids that obeying jesus can be like that sometimes we have to do things we don't like But what God teaches us in his Bible and in this verse is that we are to obey our parents. And we are to obey our parents even when it's hard and we don't want to. Kids, God has lovingly put your parents in charge of you. Sometimes they will ask you to do things that you may not like doing. Like eating your least favorite food or going to bed early or even um, reading a book or helping with your younger brother or sister whatever but God calls you to obey your parents out of a love for him and when you kids obey those that lovingly lead you you are saying that you agree with how God has set up his world and he's giving you parents that love you And he's asking you to obey them because they want the best for you. And because they want the best for you, God wants the best for you in that. Yeah, you got that, kids? I bet all you grown-ups are like, oh, gosh. <laughs> you have to put that. This was this interest. This was our first like service with the kids, the older kids in the service, and I was speaking about children and parenting, and so it all sort of worked out well. You know, you have to address the kids. It's a good thing. So, so far, we found out that children have a responsibility to obey their parents. In verse 21, parents, especially fathers are commanded and instructed. And verse 21 says, read it with me. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. What's interesting is that the Greek word for fathers in this verse can sometimes refer to both parents. But in this verse, it is right for us to assume that the focus is on the father. Father. And this is because, unlike our modern culture where both sets of parents have almost equal responsibility in parenting, the culture of that time viewed the man as the head of the household who had full authority over their children. Uh, Tom Wright says that the word fathers can refer to parents of both sexes, though it may well have an eye to the importance of the father's role within God's created order in the upbringing of children. So while primarily addressing the father, Paul would have had both parents in mind. So here Paul is instructing parents and what, he, what is he instructing parents not to do? To provoke their children. Aristizo is the Greek word we get our English word provoke from. It means to stir up or irritate. The idea behind this Greek word is to irritate a child by either nagging or putting them down. Here, Paul's goal is clear. He does not want to see children of Christian families disciplined or treated in a way that causes discouragement, and leads them to lose heart and give up trying to please their parents. Parents, I'm dressing you now, dressing us now, there's a way we can provoke our children. We can say and do things that irritate them. We can treat them so unfairly that the right and fitting response from our kids is discouragement and I know this firsthand and sometimes we are aware of what we're doing that discourage our kids but other times we're just not. Our children, parents, have a natural desire to honor us They have a natural desire to please us, all right? For those who have kids, you know what it's like. My kids are always like, Daddy, Daddy, look! I can stand with one foot in the air. Daddy, Daddy, look! I just drew this picture in two seconds, and it's some scribbles, and it's awesome. You know, Daddy, Daddy, look! Our kids have a desire to please us, yet over time... We can provoke them to such a degree that they become so discouraged they give up trying to please us. And this is the truth. No parent, no Christian parent desires to dishearten their kids. Right? We just don't. We want to be an encouragement to our kids. But sometimes we provoke them without knowing. And so here are some ways we can provoke our kids. The first One is when we're bad-tempered, okay? Arkent Hughes just does an amazing job. He shines more light on this when he says, Most people maintain a placid veneer at work because they have to do so. But at home, only the Lord knows how many children lose heart because their parents have had hard days. Right? And I'm talking to myself. As as I was studying this, I was just like, gosh, this is me, this is me, this is me. How many times i provoke my kids without knowing, like, being bad-tempered, just having a bad day, bad day, and I go home, and I absolutely, in a way, without realizing it, because it's been such a habit of taking it out on the kids. The other way we can provoke our kids is being over-strict. When we are over-strict and harsh... Um, what we tend to do is say no to every request made by our child. Why? Because they're irritating us and they're asking us, and they might be asking us for a good thing, but because we're overly strict, we're like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that we should spoil our kids by being yes parents. Absolutely not. We want to be parents Um, that are are reasonable and that are looking to protect our kids and care for them. So I'm not saying we should say yes to everything. Rather, what I'm asking is that we do not become so over-strict, we say no to everything, and we're unwilling to say yes to some of the best things for them. The other way we can provoke our kids is through being absent. Okay? We, are, we have a culture that demands so much of us when it comes to work. So much of us when it comes to work. And what is interesting for me, and I struggle with this, is I will go to work, I will get things done, but when I'm at home, I am physically present, but not emotionally and mentally present, does that make sense? We can, be, we, we, we can be physically there, but we are somewhere else. And this is a huge struggle for me because what I do is knowledge work. I'm constantly writing and interacting with people. And so in a way, I go home with my work. I can't. It's not like, you know, hands-on manual labor where you do it and then you leave, right? I go home with my work, my mind being consumed with my work. And so what I tend to do is I'm physically there, but I am totally tuned out and absent emotionally and physically. And this will provoke my kids, and this will provoke and discourage your kids because they're trying to interact with you, and you're just zoned out. The next way we can provoke our kids is by comparing um, them to others and practicing favoritism. Okay? I've got three kids, and they all have different personalities and different gifts. Okay? My boy Jesse, he's incredibly smart. He's very academic, and he wins awards at schools for you know, his academic prowess and all of those things. He does. My middle child, Kezia, she's not as smart. She's not as academic, but she's very, very athletic in a way. Eden, she's two. I'm still trying to figure out. <laughs> uh, but what's interesting is that I have a tendency to show favoritism, especially when it comes to an example, when the family, we get together to read a book or something. Jesse is reading really well. Kezia, not so much. And so my tendency is always to get Jesse to read. And Kezia wants to read, but because I'm favoring Jesse, that could discourage her. And it has sometimes, because as soon as I get Jesse to read, she's like, daddy, daddy, I want to read, I want to read. And then I'm like, oh gosh, gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She needs to read as well. And so we have to be careful not to favor our kids and compare them to other kids. Okay? My my, my kids were playing soccer and Jesse, he's like he's not here so I can talk about him. Jesse, he's like not as aggressive and not as athletic as the other kids. And so I had a tendency of saying, Jesse, I want you to play like that other kid. And, you know, And every time that other kid got the ball, I'm like, wow, look at Jesse, look at him, play like him. That could be helpful, but the way I communicated it and my constant communicating of that helped me favor that kid in that context of playing soccer more than Jesse, and that could be discouraging for him. The other thing is always finding fault and having unrealistic expectations. Okay? Kezia, <laughs> and I've been working on this for months and months and months with her. She, when she eats, she has food all over her mouth. And that bugs me because I'm a very kind of tidy guy. And I've been working with her and I've been saying, Kezia, when you eat, please keep your mouth clean. But (laughs) she just doesn't get it. And I mean, even yesterday, just still food all over her mouth. What was happening to me was a lot of the time when she would come up to me and want to engage with me. So, for example, I've had a long day and I've got home and they're eating and they see me. They all run up to me. And. What I would do is, as soon as she ran up to me to greet me, I would point out the fact that she has food all over her mouth. I would not even engage with her or say, Hey, how are you? The first thing I would say is, Kezia, you've got food in your mouth. Go ahead and clean it. And I realized. That wasn't a good thing because what I was doing was always finding that fault and not even, like, giving her a hug and then telling her, you know? It was just too much. And so that was my struggle when it came came to finding fault. And it, it, I was having unrealistic expectations. She's, like, four years old, and I wanted her to eat like she was trained, you know, in... You know, at Buckingham Palace or something. Yeah, you know? it, it's just one of those things. The other thing that can provoke our children is hypocrisy. Telling them to do things that we're not doing. That is a huge one for us as parents, and my kids always call me out on that. You know, always call me. It's been so many times. I just can't think of an example because there's always daddy you told me to do this how come you're not doing this hypocrisy is a way we can provoke our kids david guzik great study on colossians summarizes how parents can provoke their children when he says that parents and listen to this carefully parents parents can provoke their children by being too harsh too demanding too controlling unforgiving, or just plain angry. This harshness can be expressed through words, through actions, or through nonverbal communication. As parents, we experience many joyful moments as we raise our children. To see them develop is a joy to witness. Like I said, my son Jesse is reading, like, Getting awards and his developments amazing, um, all of those just the joy of seeing them develop has been an enjoyable thing for Eleanor and I to witness, but at the same time, parenting is extremely challenging. it is hard it 's difficult it 's a lot of sleepless nights, lots of diaper changes, or even like the cost of living goes up. <laughs> <laughs> Have you noticed that, uh, like, Eleanor and I, you know, a few weeks ago, we were like, man, our grocery, you know, cost of our groceries has, like, rapidly, like, you know, grown just suddenly, you know, they eat a lot, they do. It's just like you give them a meal, it's like afterwards, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I'm just like, gosh, have a banana. After a banana, I'm still hungry, you know, chips, I'm still, I mean, they just keep <laughs> eating. Like, it's challenging in so many ways to raise kids. But what makes parenting overly challenging, and it's challenging in practical ways, is that as parents, we're commanded to treat our kids the same way God, our Father, treats us. That's what I find challenging the most as a parent. The fact that I'm supposed to relate to my kids in the same way God relates to me is absolutely challenging. Christian parenting is unique because it calls for parents to live out the gospel to their children, parents are expected to relate to their kids the same way God our Father relates to us, and that is challenging. And if you guys have noticed throughout series in um, Colossians, the goal and focus is always Jesus Christ. Always Jesus Christ. It keeps coming back to Jesus Christ. Even um, um, our, our, our verse for today. It says, children, obey your parents. Why? Because it's pleasing to the Lord. Last week, wives, submit to your husbands. Why? Because it's fitting in the Lord. The focus is always on Jesus. And so for us as parents to be able to raise our kids and instruct them in the ways of the Lord means that we need to be obsessed with Jesus Christ himself. I say it every week. It keeps coming back to it because Jesus, he's the only one that matters. Jesus is everything. If we don't know Jesus, we will not be able to love and raise our kids in a way that will cause them to feel valued and loved. We're just not going to be able to do it. And, but the more, the more we're enamored with Jesus, the more we're obsessed with Jesus, the more we pray and ask Jesus to continue to um, cause us to know Him more and grow in our love for Him, the better. We're able to relate to the people and the children God has given us. It's all about Christ. That is why as a church we sing about Jesus Christ. We talk about Jesus Christ. We continually point each other to Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. And why is it all about Jesus? It's all about Jesus because Jesus absolutely accomplished all that every human being on this planet ever needs. And that is a relationship with God, the Creator. Jesus coming and living a sinless life and dying the death of a sinful man on the cross and rising again on the third day was him accomplishing what we could never accomplish as humans. And that is to bridge the gap and the separation between us and God. To think that as a human being, You can have a relationship with the God of the universe, the God who created everything you see and taste and experience is an amazing thing. And guess what? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one is able to get access to God except through me. And so Jesus is like the bridge. That gets us to God and gets us into a relationship with God. And when we are in Christ, we are satisfied. Because as humans, our souls are so restless. They are. We're seeking satisfaction in this and that and going here and trying to find satisfaction. But when we find Jesus, we find rest. For our restless souls. He is the one. He is. And yes, we're talking about parenting. Yes, we are. But guess what? We are only able to parent and love our kids the way they're supposed to be loved and not idolize them. We could talk about that. Only when we are absolutely obsessed with And enamored with Jesus Christ. And so, parents, we must avoid teaching our kids that we only love them when they are obedient. Instead, we must love our kids unconditionally. And when we do, the child's obedience may become like our obedience to God. And that is a glad and loving obedience. And so... To conclude, listen to these wise words by a pastor named Warren Weesby. He says, if a home is truly Christian, it is a place of encouragement. In such a home, the child finds refuge from battles and yet strength to fight the battles and carry the burdens of growing maturity. He finds a loving heart, a watching eye, a listening ear and the helping hand. He does not want any other place. Home meets his needs. In this kind of a home, it is natural for the child to trust Christ and want to live for him. Basically, what he's saying is that, hey, continue to live for Christ. And as you do, your kids will say, man, Who is this Jesus that my parents absolutely love? And then they will too follow suit. Not follow you, but you will be used by God to help them know and follow Jesus Christ. Because why? It's all about Jesus. It really is. Let's pray. father thank you for jesus thank you for helping us see briefly in this passage what it looks like for children to obey their parents thank you also for helping us to discover what is expected of us as parents Um, it's a big deal To bring kids into this world and raise them in the world that we're in. But we know for sure that we're only able to do that effectively when we are continually being reminded of and reflecting on all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And so help us as parents to not provoke and discourage our kids. If we are, may you help us know it. And may you help us just be aware of it and confess and stop doing that. And so, Father, I pray for um, any older children here who have been provoked um, and discouraged by their parents and how they've raised them. May you help them get to a place where they are ready to forgive Um, and they're ready to even Um, reconcile all of these issues that they have. May your Spirit do the work I could never do with my sermon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, we're going to be having communion um, right now, this Sunday. And every Sunday, our goal is to remember Christ through our spiritual practices. Um, But today, and once a month, every first Sunday of the month, we remember Christ in a unique way. We celebrate his life, we proclaim his death, we rejoice in his resurrection through communion. And so that is what we're going to partake in this week. Today, what we want to do is look deep within ourselves and examine our attitudes and intentions. And although our attitudes and intentions are flawed, as we celebrate Jesus' life and proclaim his death and rejoice in his resurrection. We are reminded that as we commune with Christ in community. As we eat the bread and take the bread and dip it um, in the cup. Which represents the blood of Jesus poured out for our forgiveness. We are reminded that our sins are forgiven and we have been made alive together with Christ. And so that is what we are going to partake in. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have some music and what is going to happen is we are going to all come whenever we are ready. Is come to the front and we are going to grab a piece of The wafer its not bread, Um, but we're going to dip it in. And what I want you to do is take it back to your seat and pray and thank God for what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. And then in your own time, you may participate in communion.